We're going to continue our study of 1 Samuel chapter 14 this morning. No introduction, we're just going to jump right in. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jonathan probably knew that Saul wouldn't let him go. But where is Saul? Verse 2 says, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gebeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. In other words, Saul is still hiding. He is still afraid. And he has obviously chosen for himself a comfortable place to hide. Something called the pomegranate cave, right? Whatever that, whatever that is. Um, the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Just a quick note, it's very significant that Paul here is relying on the cursed priesthood of Eli. Remember, Eli's priesthood, according to God, is done. So he's relying on that instead of Samuel. Possibly because Saul is finding it easier to assert his authority over that priest than over Samuel. And I think I'll explain why I think that in just a minute. But this tells us that Saul's spiritual life at this point is questionable at best. Verse 4. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, the name of the other, Sinna. I'm not going to tell you what those names mean yet because it's too big of a spoiler. Okay, so just hold on to that thought. Verse 5. <clears throat> the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and on the other, on the south, in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. I want to I break down that last sentence because it tells us something very, very important about faith. Jonathan says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. This is not doubt. Instead, it's an understanding of God's authority. Jonathan knows that God is capable of giving them victory. In fact, he says so in the second half of the sentence, right? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. 
So by saying that God may do this, he's not doubting God. He's leaving the outcome in God's hands. You see that? And that's confirmed in the very next verse. Verse 7. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And my friends, I want to suggest to you that that is one of the most beautiful expressions of faith in the entire Bible. And it comes from an unnamed armor bearer. The least important person in the story, so to speak. It's also the most important verse in chapter 14. Because that's what faith looks like. Faith says to God, do all that is in your heart, God. Do as you wish. I am with you heart and soul. That's faith. This is what Jonathan meant when he said to God, or said that God may give us victory. Not that he doubted God, but that he trusted God. In other words, God may want me to do this big thing in his name. Or he may not. God may want to bless me in this way. Or he may not. There's a big misunderstanding about the nature of faith for a lot of Christians in the church today. I've heard people say things like this. If you had enough faith, God would heal you. If you had enough faith, God would make you wealthy. Or even this, if you had enough faith, then you would sell everything and become a missionary. Interesting, those two things are not all that different from one another. And people will quote verses like these. They will say, speak those things that are not as though they were. Have you heard that expression? Which I think is a misunderstanding of Romans 4.17, where the subject is God, not us. Or they will take the words of Jesus when He says that faith the size of a mustard seed is enough to cast mountains into the sea. And that's absolutely true, but the mountain is not moving unless God wants it to move. Because it's not about us. And we learn this best in Jesus Himself. Listen to the prayer of Jesus the night before the cross. He says, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, would you say to the Son of God, Come on, Jesus, speak those things that are not as though they were. 
Why are you worried? Why are you praying more earnestly? Don't you believe God can do it? Name it and claim it, Jesus. Of course not. Because none of us questions the faith of Jesus in His Father. He asked, the Father answered, and the answer was no. Not a question of faith. Faith is not a magic formula to get God to do what we want God to do. What if God doesn't plan to heal you? What if God doesn't plan to make you wealthy? What if He doesn't want to send you on some big adventure for Jesus? We can ask God for anything in faith, but we finish that prayer and maybe even begin that prayer with these words, Not my will, but yours be done. And that sounds a lot like the words of the nameless armor bearer in verse 7. Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. I am with you, heart and soul. And what I want to say to you is that that should have been the voice of Saul. It should have been the voice of the king of Israel leading his people, his people in faith that God was on their side. But it's not. Verse 8, Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. Notice again his clear dependence on God. He's not presuming victory. He's not charging into battle. He is waiting on God. Which is what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were half a furlough's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field and among all the people, and the garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. 
And the watchmen of Saul and Gebeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. And Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who is gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. And then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. There's more to this story that we don't have time to cover today. I want to encourage you to go home and read the rest of the chapter for yourself and let me know if you want to talk about those things that are there. Um, But something happens here that is easy to miss, but it's very important. In verse 18, Saul tells his priest to bring the ark of God. What Saul means is this. He's saying, let's ask God what we should do next. And that is a good instinct. That's exactly what Saul should be doing. Waiting on the Lord. Asking of the Lord. That's good leadership. But look at the end of verse 19. He says to the priest... Withdraw your hand. Now the priests at that time, they had a way of asking God a yes or no question by using part of their breastplate. But Paul stops the priest, sorry Saul, stops the priest in the middle of that ritual. Because Saul notices that the Philistines are in a vulnerable state and he decides to... to, to attack, to not wait and see what God says about the situation. So when he says, withdraw your hand, he's he's telling the priest to stop the ritual. Now, do you remember the whole point of chapter 13, last Sunday? What does it mean to trust God? Very often it just means waiting. And what does Saul do? He makes a decision without God. Withdraw your hand was Saul silencing God. And it's interesting because later in the chapter, if you go read it, Saul is going to ask God another question and God is not going to respond at all. Why is this so important? It's important because it shows us a contrast to the faith of Jonathan and the faith of the armor bearer. Instead of seeking the Lord and trusting the Lord, Saul waits until victory seems obvious and he makes the decision to go on his own. He doesn't even need God. And the lesson for us is this. The opposite of faith is usually not doubt, but self-reliance. 
God is patient with doubters. Okay, if you're here this morning and you're just not sure about all this and you're struggling to understand what the Scriptures teach and you don't know if Jesus is is in your life or not, okay, God is patient with that. He is less patient with people who think they don't need Him. Especially religious people who think they don't need God. And this is important for us to recognize because we sing songs on Sunday. We sang last week, Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. Every hour I need You, right? We sing that. But so often our lives absolutely reek of self-reliance. We do what we want. We do it when we want. We don't give much thought, if any, to God or His Word or His will. We're more likely to pray when something unexpected or difficult happens to us in our lives. But then we quickly forget when we get comfortable again, right? Or we become bitter when we don't get what we wanted God to give us or to do. Or if it doesn't happen quickly enough. I don't have, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have many Jonathan days, but I have a lot of Saul days in my life. A lot of those days where it's just me. It's not me and God, it's just me. At least that's how I'm acting. How can we break the cycle of self-reliance and learn to trust God, especially in a culture that is uber-independent, uber-success-driven and oriented? How do we break this cycle? How do we learn to believe that we really need God every hour like we sing? How can we learn to wait and to listen and to depend on God? Well, you remember the names of the rocky crags back in verse 4? And I said, I'm not going to tell you because it's a spoiler. Said there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other. Said the first name was Sina, which means thorny path. Second, Bozes means shining path. Thorny path, shiny path. Which means Jonathan went down the thorny path and came up the shining path. Now come on church. (laughs) You see where this is going, don't you? In verse 11, the Philistines saw Jonathan coming and they said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. Another word for, for holes is tombs. And in the last chapter, chapter 13, we were told that many of the Hebrews were hiding themselves in tombs. 
come on church, who else do we know that walked down a thorny path and then walked up a shining path out of a tomb? Jesus. And it gets better. The Scriptures tell us that the boldness of Jonathan inspired everyone else to do what? To come out of the caves and tombs in which they were hiding and join the battle. He went where no one else was willing to go, and then the people followed him, because by the time they came out of their holes, the battle had already been won. It's just too plain, right? But you got to know the Bible to see this stuff. But it's so obvious. And the message is so clear. Relying on yourself is like hiding in a grave. It is spiritual death. And it is why we physically die. Because we ignore the Creator. Because we don't listen to Him. We don't care what He has to say about our lives. Not really. It's worse than any of us really wants to admit. But God has a solution for it. Jonathan said, God can save by many or by few. And Jesus said, actually, He can save by one. Christ Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. On the third day, He rose again. If Christ had not been raised, then my preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain and we are still in our sins. But if He is risen, then the battle is already won. And that is how the gospel destroys our self-reliance. There is no need for us To do anything. Why would we hide in the grave when the victory is already won? We won't unless we don't trust God's solution. But if Jesus is risen, if the victory is won, then what on earth are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? What are we waiting for? Why are we not following Jesus wherever He leads us? Why are we not trusting Him with everything? Why is this not our prayer? Do all that is in your heart, God. Do as you wish with me. I am with you heart and soul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are an anxious people. We are constantly coming up with new things to be afraid of. And as we talked about last week, evil is real. Things are difficult. It's not doesn't do us any good to act like they're not real or that they're not difficult. They are. But in the end, 
death is defeated. In the end, sin will be erased. The battle is already won. And you're not even calling us to to go figure out how to do something great for you. You just want us to trust you, to listen to you. Obey when you ask us to do something, but, but to trust you. It's already won. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would help us to believe that this is true. We would have the faith of this this unnamed armor bearer. None of us in this room are... None of us are special. We have value. We have meaning. We have purpose. We're important to You. But we're we're not special. We... We just need Your grace and Your love and Your forgiveness. And we just need to trust You like millions and millions of Christians have that have gone before us and will come after. We pray for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen.